I'm Candace Long with Lessons in the Latter Days, offering biblical commentary to make sense of the times that we're living in. Today I want to put in my two cents regarding all this hoopla over churches leaving denominations over women being called into ministry. This should not be. I'm calling this episode God's Call to Women. I want to explain to you why this move of God calling women into ministry is not only biblical, it is an important sign that indicates how close we are to the day of the Lord. Much of what I'm sharing comes from my book, The Levitical Calling, in which I devote an entire chapter to this phenomenon. It has happened to many devout women. It happened to me. Through a personal crisis, it was not something I was seeking. I was doing fine in the business and entertainment sectors where I have been since the early 80s. But at the turn of the century, God smashed into pieces the comfortable life I had carved for myself. I share a good bit of my story in the episode called When Life Falls Apart. So today I'm going to tell you about other women who've had a similar experience. In fact, you'll begin to see a pattern of what God has been doing with many of his women in the last 20 years. Believe me, this move of God is not feminism. I came to the Lord during the Jesus movement and was very familiar with the feminist voices of the 60s and 70s. This is not that. This is something else entirely. God's hand is in this, and I humbly ask the denominational men who are hearing me to discern carefully whether what I share is false teaching or whether it is fresh revelation concerning why so many women are being called into some visible form of ministry today. Before we begin, I remind you of the cultural upheaval that took place after the resurrection, when the apostles kept on preaching and doing miracles, stirring up the crowds, when the high priest and religious leaders had ordered them to shut up. Now, you remember the story in Acts 5. Listen to the counsel given by a highly regarded Pharisee named Gamaliel, who spoke these anointed words in the midst of this chaos. He said, Men of Israel, take care what you do with these men. For before these days, Theudas arose, giving himself out to be somebody, and a number of men, about four hundred, joined him. But he was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of men, it will fail. But if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. This is the counsel I would give in the case of what to do with all these women who are being called into some form of ministry. If this is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them and will be found opposing God. I have been teaching and coaching women for the last 20 years who believe they have been called by God for this hour. 
I want to share some of their stories with you and then explain the biblical foundation for what I see as an unprecedented move of God. Early on in my ministry, I held a self-discovery workshop on a university campus. And during a break, one of the men who was attending came up to me and said, When I came in and saw all the women here, I thought maybe this was only a women's conference. And finally, a few other men came. Then he became pensive and remarked, The winds are changing. I asked, What do you mean by that? He was a conference speaker himself, but he observed, Everywhere I go, women make up the overwhelming majority of the audience. I'm puzzled. Where are the men? In 2004, after losing almost everything after 9-11, I kept to myself in solitude. This was my wilderness, seeking answers and direction from God. I was drawn to a conference that Dr. Elizabeth Hairston was holding in Atlanta, sponsored by Women with a Call International. I felt prompted to be there. But I was still new to being with people who worshipped the Lord with total abandon. I wasn't used to worshipping with people of color. But something inside said, You know I have called you to serve me. There will be women here who will understand you. The room was packed. There were women from all over the world. Women who knew with everything in them that they were called of God to serve him. These were not family matriarchs coming to the front lines because no men were around, nor were they feminists asserting to push themselves forward. These were worshipers, intercessors, liturgical dancers, and teachers of the Word of God who had, like me, an internal antenna that said, We are approaching the day of the Lord and we must find the area where we are called to serve. This conference was a turning point in my spiritual journey because it was the first time when I can honestly say that I experienced the real, tangible presence of the Lord. The time of worship and praise was like nothing I had ever known. In fact, that very evening, the praise music ended and the speaker made her way to the podium. And then something strange happened. The Lord's presence became so real that people began sobbing throughout the room. Many were down on their knees crying tears of repentance, tears of cleansing, tears of inexpressible joy being in the Father's arms. The speaker was not able to speak. She knew she should not tread upon God's time. She came up to the microphone and whispered, Papa's here. Let's welcome him. That was her entire sermon. Five words. The most powerful message given all weekend. So why are women being called? I want to give you a few examples and then attempt to offer both a historical and a biblical context. One of my spiritual children told me that many years ago she was married to a deacon in their church but he was not a very devout man. He emotionally abused her, and she began to see herself as worthless. One night, she had a powerful dream in which she heard the Lord say, I am calling you into full-time ministry. 
the words were so strong in her being that she didn't know what to do with them. Seeking counsel, she turned to her pastor and shared the experience with him, and without taking a breath, he said, This dream was not for you, it was for your husband. In other words, not once did the pastor entertain the possibility that the Lord had come to this woman with a very personal invitation to serve him. In essence, she was repressed by both her husband and her pastor. After many years, including a divorce, she was still scarred by the experience and felt unworthy to serve God. And I believe the Lord put me in her life to validate her calling and assure her that God is calling many women today. Pastor Mamie Harris-Smith is another woman of God called uniquely in this hour. She accepted God's call to serve Him in 1987, was licensed as a minister in 1992, and ordained in 1996. She ministered with and was mentored by her beloved late husband, Joseph Harris, who pastored a church in South Atlanta. The church was growing, and Mamie was completely fulfilled in her role as pastor's wife. Suddenly, one day, he dropped dead of a heart attack. No warning, no preparation for what was to come. Despite her grief, she continued to be a faithful steward at her church, helping the deacons choose a new pastor. What happened next was certainly not the church's finest hour. After the new pastor was in place, due largely to her support and endorsement, he not only refused to offer her a ministerial position, but basically said there was no place in the church for her anymore. Now tell me, where in the Bible does God tell his church leaders to throw out the widows and orphans? This dear woman was left alone with no church family, no widow's stipend, no financial or spiritual oversight by the very church her husband's grandfather founded and which Joseph pastored for 17 years. Nevertheless, God had plans for Mamie. She began to hold small Bible studies and worship gatherings for the people who responded to her pastoral heart. By faith, she rented a building to use on Sunday mornings and waited for God to supply the pastor this congregation so desperately needed. The crowd began to grow. She kept praying, Lord, you know how much we need a pastor to shepherd these people. And that one never came. The church continued to grow, and the Lord finally revealed, Mamie, you are the one I have called to shepherd these people. Step out in faith. You are not alone. I am with you. The New Generation Christian Fellowship in Griffin, Georgia, stands today as a beacon of faithfulness to this dear woman who believes in a big God, one who is totally faithful and true. The late pastor Sandy Mathis was called into deliverance ministry in the 1980s. She was one of my mentors. Her unique calling began when she assisted a pastor who was attempting to bring a tormented woman through deliverance. 
In other words, Sandy's role was to be the intercessor. She was supposed to sit there and pray. During the session, suddenly the soft-spoken woman who was seeking counsel opened her mouth, and out came a deep, authoritative voice, I will not leave. The pastor turned white as a sheet and said to Sandy, You take over. And he left. When her husband passed away some time later, the Lord increased her availability for ministry, and the Lord confirmed her call over and over through supernatural provision for the sacrifices she made to free others from demonic strongholds. One evening I had dinner with Dr. Elizabeth Harrison, who became another key mentor. It was just the two of us, and I was happy for the opportunity to observe this woman of God up close. I asked how she came to understand that God had called her into ministry. She explained that she always had a hunger for the Lord and used music and dance in her personal times of worship. However, it was her pastor who saw something in her that others did not see. He often called her to come up and stand by him while he ministered to others during the service. For instance, when he was praying over someone and prophesying to them, he would turn to her and say, Elizabeth, are you hearing anything from the Lord for this person? He became her mentor and encouraged her prophetic gifts. She related a time when he asked her to sing during a service, and he told her, Don't be limited to the podium area, but go out among the people and sing God's heart to them. She told me, I was much more timid in those days, but I pushed myself out into the congregation, and suddenly the anointing of God was so strong that people started falling over. God began delivering them and ministering to them in a way I had never seen him do through me before. That was a turning point in her life. Dr. Elizabeth now leads the worldwide ministry of Women with a Call International and formed branches all over the world. God used her in my life early on to push me to use the gifts she saw in me. She was the first one with whom I shared my music. This was instrumental music that began to flow out of me following my wilderness journey. Now, I had never had any sort of training with orchestrations and arranging, so I knew in my heart that this music came from somewhere I had never been before musically. In 2007, at one of her conferences in Detroit, she invited me to perform one of these numbers. Even though I had been a professional performer for years, I had been so broken in the years following 9-11 that I lost all confidence that I could ever be used by God again. Nevertheless, I had learned one thing over the years, to admit my weakness lay it down before the Father, and trust Him to minister through me as He desired. The conference was attended by pastors and ministers from all over the United States, predominantly women. I was terrified. When the music began, I spoke the words God had given me to say, and suddenly men and women throughout the room began weeping. The Lord was at work delivering them of deeply held grief. He graciously used 
my brokenness, to speak hope into the lives of those who were going through a similar thing. So what does all this mean biblically? My book, The Levitical Calling, goes into great detail as to why God is calling women today. Why women? And why now? In the time remaining, I want to share two key points from the book of Genesis. Number one, in the first two chapters of the Bible, the Lord gave a singular mandate. Let us make man, mankind, in our image after our likeness. So God created man, male and female, he created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over every living thing that moves upon the earth. This dominion is our birthright, our divine calling given to women as well as to men. History shows the attempts of men throughout every culture to suppress women, shut her voice, to usurp leadership positions, to remove her rights, to strip her of freedom and express herself as God made her, and worst of all, to feed her with the insidious porridge that says she is worth little and is only fit for cooking and having babies. Now, lest I be labeled a feminist, please understand that I am not suggesting that women take the place of men in exercising dominion, merely that they take their God-given place alongside the men. I often found it puzzling that the people groups the enemy has persecuted the most throughout history have been Jews, blacks, and women. There are many reasons why that is. For one, I know many women who were not affirmed by their fathers. And heaven help those women if they are what I call creatives. Artistic gifts are often diminished and deemed as flighty and meaningless. Only for women with rich husbands who have the time and money to flitter away their lives with little art stuff. Here's what many fathers tell their daughters. You can't make a living at music or art. For goodness sakes, go get a real job. Or better yet, get married and find someone who will take care of you when I'm gone. But thankfully, there is a move of God afoot to reinstate his women into the overarching plan of God and destroy the strongholds that have held us captive. Point number two is the seven-day plan of God that we find in Genesis. In the natural, there are six days of the week, and then comes the seventh, called the Sabbath. We are told that every day of the Lord is as a thousand years. So Jewish doctrine views this picture metaphorically this way. God has given mankind six thousand years. And then comes the Lord's Day, the kingdom. Now get ready because I'm going to shift your thinking back and forth from the literal to the metaphorical, which is the true meaning behind the picture. Literally speaking, let's look at a traditional Sabbath observance. Rabbi Michael Washer describes the hectic preparations getting ready for the Sabbath. Quote, the house must be cleaned. The challah, the traditional braided bread, bought or baked. 
The candlesticks for the Shabbat lights polished and cleaned, the Shabbat meal prepared, and the table set, And now comes the interesting part as it relates to this episode. The woman's role is very significant at Shabbat. She is the one who actually begins the Shabbat service, not the man, the woman. To quote Rabbi Washer, as the sun dips below the horizon, a calm and quiet comes over the house. The mother covers her head and lights the Shabbat candles. The reason the mother does this is because Eve put out the light of the world in the Garden of Eden by sinning and enticing the man to sin. And so the mother welcomes the light of Shabbat back into the world every week as we look forward to the restoration of the Garden of Eden, the kingdom, the final Shabbat. This Shabbat ceremony is a weekly rehearsal called a mikra of where we are right now in history. If it is true that we are indeed at the end of the 6,000 years allotted to mankind, then God must prepare his people for the day that is all Shabbat, the final thousand years. Keeping with the metaphorical language the Lord has chosen to use to convey spiritual truths, this ceremony is a beautiful picture, a tavnit, showing us the woman's role in the Jewish time clock. The majority of the preparations for Shabbat are done by the woman, cooking, cleaning, baking, polishing the silver, and throwing away all the leaven in the house, which has a clear biblical reference to behavior that is sinful, prideful, and hypocritical. The woman's total energies are directed at preparing her family for Shabbat. Humbly, therefore, before the one who loves her and called her as his own, she lights the candle of hope and redemption and gives voice to the charge burning within her to prepare her family for the day of the Lord. There is something burning deep within the hearts of millions of God's women. We know with every fiber of our being, his coming is right around the corner. It doesn't matter that we have no data or scientific evidence to back up what we know because most women know in our knower what's happening and we are compelled to do what we can to get those we love ready. Every day I see women who are being raised up for an unprecedented moment in history. Esther was told by her uncle, Who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. We are seeing the Lord raise up his women in these last days to exercise all the gifts he has given us, the unique ways we view the world, the emotional capacity wherein we resonate with those who are hurting and the energy to multitask and do 20 things at once to make sure all needs are cared for. These are gifts unique to women. It is God's good pleasure to gift us with ears to hear and articulate his heart. Women do that very well. The women I know have no desire to be a threat to men. 
On the contrary, our stepping forward, answering God's call to serve Him, is a Genesis-inspired billboard announcing that Shabbat is just around the corner. Glory to God. I want to thank you for joining me today. You will find this episode, God's Call to Women, at CandiceLong.com slash podcasts, as well as a link to my book, The Levitical Calling, in the description notes to this episode. I hope you join me again next time for Lessons in the Latter Days. God bless.